eBay Motors is here for the ride. Remember when you first saw the potential? And then through some elbow grease, fresh installs, and a whole lot of love, you transformed 100,000 miles and a body full of rust into a drive that's all your own. Look to your left. Look to your right. It's official. No one's got a ride like this. There's nothing else that sounds like, feels like, or looks like the set of wheels in your garage. With over 122 million parts, you can make sure your number one ride or die stays running smoothly, so there's no limit to how far you can take it. Brake kits, turbochargers, engines, exhaust kits, roof racks, LED headlights, bumpers, whatever your baby needs, eBay Motors has it. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, it's guaranteed to fit your ride the first time, every time, or your money back. Plus at these prices, well, you're burning rubber, not cash. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Call from mom. Answer it. Call silenced. Instacart knows nothing gets between you and the game. That's why they make ordering from your couch easy. Stock up today and get all your groceries for the week delivered in as fast as 30 minutes without missing a minute of the game. You have 47 new voicemails. Download the app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. Yep, we are live as live can be. Late Kick is live. It is Thursday night, January 11th, the year of our Lord, 2024. Going to be a difficult time for us tonight, and I'm going to tell you why. We've got a coaching search going on at Alabama as we speak. I have got the eye, Josh, blowing up. we got people all over this. Um, just because we don't baselessly speculate on this show does not mean we are not well-sourced, and I have it on good authority that even within the past 15 minutes, friends, there's been some good old-fashioned private jet black SUV activity there at Tuscaloosa Regional Airport. We're on it. Don't worry. We're on it. I'm going to have the latest on the Alabama coaching search, but I'm not leading the show with it tonight. We made an executive decision about an hour ago because, frankly, something could happen during the show. So with that in mind, let's dive into what else we're talking about. Yes, we've got a coaching search. Yes, Nick Saban has retired yet still came into work today when half the sport's on vacation because, of course, he did. I've got to talk to you about who was the face of college football. It's been him for a long time. Whomst will be the face of college football. Of course, Saban's not going anywhere in terms of his visibility, but a new head coach is eventually going to emerge here. Are they? Well, are they? We'll see. I'm asking myself as well as you. Uh, Dan Lanning took his flag and just planted it in the chests of many, many people uh, earlier this morning. Yeah, jam-packed show tonight. So they're watching us in Marble Falls, Texas, Malden, South Carolina, Hillsboro, Oregon, San Diego, California. Like I said, guys, we're live. It's like Monday Night Raw, late 90s. Anything could happen when you're live. But we do have our ear to the ground, multiple ears to the ground in Tuscaloosa and 
I'm going to talk about that coaching search one way or the other in this show before we go off air, but might we have breaking news? When I know, you'll know. Nick Saban's first day of retirement involved him coming into the office at 7.20 a.m. this morning and spending most of the day there. You might say that sounds like work. I didn't expect anything less from him. It's been a surreal day. It's been the kind of day we would normally get in the sporting world if you were memorializing someone. You know, after they pass away, that's the way people have talked about Saban. Colin and Jesse, I didn't think about this, but I assume you guys saw, just like I did, the Saban statue outside of Bryant-Denny Stadium, and then there were flowers, uh, there were we'll-miss-you notes, there were all kinds of mementos of varying sizes and, and varying degrees below there. Someone left a full red velvet cake. Someone left a bag of ice. I can only assume these mean things to these people. But to top it all off, Nick Saban's hands right there holding a get-well-soon balloon. I guess in semi-related news, it should be noted that Saban had a sit-down interview with Reese Davis today where he said, no, this is not health-related. I'm good. Miss Terry's good. I just don't think that I can do it at the level I want to do it at anymore. I would encourage you guys to go listen to that full interview. Things about 25 minutes long, and it's over, I believe, on the ESPN College Football YouTube channel. But in the meantime, his day today was pretty surreal. But his day today also involved him coming into the office the day after he announced his retirement and meeting with players, meeting with staffers, calling recruits. And our buddy Cole Kublik put it very well. He put it kind of like this. Saban came in and did more work today as a retiree than most coaches in college football did today. A lot of them are on vacation right now. Some of them are on the beach somewhere. As Saban said, what am I going to do now that I'm free? I think I'll go to work. Uh, there are some rumors to dispel right quick. There are a lot of people who say they saw this coming. They didn't. He didn't until the week of, until the day of. Uh, Greg Byrne, the athletic director there, didn't know well ahead of time. I'm going to address that more later in the show. Uh, Kirby Smart and their, their interaction there at the SEC championship game, which was captured by SEC Network for its own special. He didn't know. Uh, no one knew. You don't always have to know. I didn't. Me, me neither. I didn't know. The guy had a normal work day leading up to 3.55 p.m. when five minutes later he was about to go announce to the team he was retiring. The guy was interviewing assistant coaches at 3.50, 10 minutes before he was going to announce his retirement. So if you claim to have known what kind of crystal ball and what kind of power does that thing have that you possess, I would like to get my hands on it. Um, so couple of things that I didn't say last night. And if you missed our initial reaction, we went live last night. We had our highest viewed live show ever last night. And it wasn't even a normally scheduled show. We gave you an hour's advance notice. And that thing's got like a quarter million views on it. So yeah, uh, pretty surreal day. You cannot overstate the impact he had when he walked in the door. But I'm going to tell you tonight, you can't overstate the impact he's having walking out and the huge favor he's doing Alabama. I know a lot of you have grown up on him. I know a lot of you have come to know Alabama football, Nick Saban, synonymously, and a lot of you are Alabama fans, and so you guys are kind of sad right now, and then you're unsure of who you're going to hire. But let me assure you, um, it's not necessarily a terrible thing for Alabama. Things could have been so, so, so much worse for them. And I'm not talking about a world where you didn't land Saban. No, in the world where you had Nick Saban as the head coach at Alabama for 16 or 17 years. Do you know how much worse this could have been? It could have been so much worse. So let me remind you, his entrance, January 3rd, 2007, for those 
18 years old amongst us, you have no recollection of this. You've just seen a grainy news video from Tuscaloosa Airport, and you've seen newspaper clippings, and of course, you've watched Saban's career. January 3rd, 2007 was like the St. Helens Mount Vesuvius moment for the SEC. No one had any doubt. And if they did, they were lying, and it was a defense mechanism. Because the day Mal Moore announced new University of Alabama head coach Nick Saban, everyone knew the game had changed. Rival coaches knew the game had changed. Uh, Media, everybody knew the game had changed. And it was only a matter of when. It was not a matter of if. So on one hand, you had the most iconic brand in the SEC that had become totally stale, revitalized overnight. And he went 7-6 and six his first year, but then went to the SEC championship game his next year, and he won the whole thing his third year, and they were off to the races. But what else happened was he redefined the standard that it takes to operate at and achieve excellence in college football for everyone, not just Bama. So, yes, everyone has their story of how they viewed Saban come into the conference and what they think of what he's done in the conference. But what we're talking about tonight for just a second is – Consider the circumstances of his exit and consider how ugly this could have been. I mean, God bless him now. I remember growing up and learning about Joe Paterno. And of course, Paterno was still around when I was a kid. In fact, he was well into his career when I was a kid. But I remember even when I was a little kid, knowing that Joe Paterno's best days were well behind him. And I didn't know. My 10-year-old mind didn't know how to process how coaching contracts work and and how legacies work but I even knew at 10 years old hey we're looking at a guy we're looking at a guy who's past his prime we're probably looking at a guy who's more of a figurehead than an actual day-to-day grinder CEO type Bobby Bowden same immense respect for the guy couldn't respect Bobby Bowden any more than I do but the same happened there that's normal when you become an icon when you become a legend in your industry You become immortalized almost to the point where you call your shots. You determine your exit. No one else is going to do it for you. That's the way it could have happened with Nick Saban. I want you to consider that football was this guy's entire life for like half a century. And even having said that, he decided to go out either at the peak of his career or not too far on the back end of the peak of his career. And as a result, you get all the positives. From this point moving forward, if you're Alabama, you get all the positives of the fact that they've built a program and a brand there that's a superpower. The resources are there. The facilities are there. Like everything's there that it takes to win. And nothing got soured. The brand didn't get soured. The program didn't start to erode or decay. You still got a premier talent roster. You've got a premier infrastructure. You've got what you would call a turnkey winner ready to be handed over to whoever comes in and takes his place. A lot of folks out there saying, who wants to take a legend's place? That has nothing to do with it. It is so misguided. It's a total beta mentality. That's why Apple invented the cat emoji for people who think like that. There are a ton of Supreme competitors who are looking around, not at whether I'm going to replace a legend. What they want to know is, are the boxes checked that I need to win? And if they are, I'll go in there and win just like he did. May not match him, but I don't need to. Uh, You realize we just saw Nick Saban, Bill Belichick, and Pete Carroll call it quits in the span of 24, 36 hours? Do you realize that's a 30 for 30? The fine folks at ESPN just had a documentary, or several, dropped in their laps. If Netflix wants to outbid them, they just got an entire series dropped in their laps. 
I was talking to someone about my favorite memories from Saban today, and there was one that I left off the show last night, and it has to do with maybe my favorite game to witness in his career, and it wasn't even a national championship game. And I was on the field for that second and 26 walk-off to win a national championship. But you know what else I was on the field for? The next year, SEC championship game. And everyone's a year removed from watching Jalen Hurts take that team to the brink, but then being benched at halftime in that title game. And some kid from Hawaii named Tua Tungavailoa comes off the bench, wins the game. Iconic, historic. It's in the history books forever. But Jalen Hurts doesn't transfer. Jalen Hurts sticks around throughout spring, knowing full well he's probably going to be the backup, has another chance to transfer, does not transfer, holds this little impromptu press conference at the fan day there on, I think, day two or day three of fall camp, and airs out some of his grievances. He was less than thrilled with how he had been covered, how he had been portrayed, and no one stepped in. SID didn't step in. Communications team didn't step in. Jalen Hurts is, is a grown man at that point. He can say whatever he wants to. He can feel however he wants to. And he works his tail off, gets better as a quarterback sitting on the bench that year. And come SEC championship game time, Tua Tonga-Vailoa goes down. Jalen Hurts comes in, leads a comeback to win the SEC championship against Georgia. And on the field afterwards, a lot of you have seen that game. A lot of you have watched the replay. Nick Saban can barely get words out of his mouth talking to, I think at the time, Jamie Erdahl for CBS Sports because he's so choked up because he knew the sacrifice Hurts had just made. And he knew that that was the last of a dying breed even then. A guy who had his job taken and instead of bailing, which would have been very, very understandable, he sticks around and doesn't stick around and mope. He sticks around, buys in, gets better, is ready for the moment when it arrives and wins him an SEC championship. And you guys saw him pretty choked up on the field, but I remember walking off the field right there with him. I remember I was right behind Saban and his security detail and Josh Maxson, I believe it would have been even at that time. They walk up the tunnel and Saban breaks down. Never seen it before or since from him. As emotional as I've ever seen him in his life. And I remember that because the cameras didn't capture it. I remember that because that was him holding it together as much as he could while he was out there in the arena on air, but then up the tunnel off air red lights off. Uh, he's out of public view. It meant a lot. That moment meant a lot to him. And then when you fast forward a few years and you look at how NIL and Portal changed the game, you realize he knew where it was headed. He knew in a lot of ways it was already there then, but especially in the future, he knew where it was headed. You don't have many more Jalen Hurts. In fact, I would argue Jalen Hurts was one of one. And so I was thinking about that today as other people were tossing around their memories and whatnot. But He's got a chance now. Nick Saban's got a chance to massively impact college football above and beyond what he's already done. He talked with Reese Davis today about what his future plans are, and he said, I'm not stepping away. I'm not stepping away from Alabama. I'll have an office right here still. I'm going to stay in Tuscaloosa, but I'm not stepping away from the game. I want to do broadcasting because I'm good at it, and I want to be involved in fixing college football. And he laid out a lot of those parameters. Now, I don't know if we'll ever have a commissioner in this sport, and that's a guy that I would be happy to share the office with, you know, Saban and I, 50-50, 60-40 either way. But in all seriousness, this is, a, this is a sport right now that is run by nameless, faceless bureaucrats for a reason. Uh, government is the same way in a lot of cases, and we hope to have an escape from that in the sporting world. But sadly, some of our sports are run the same way. But Saban's got a face. 
and he's got an informed voice, and he's as authoritative and respected as anyone out there. Anytime he opens his mouth, everyone shuts up and they listen. Whether you love him or hate him, whether you're a Bama fan or his rival fan, everyone listens because they know nothing's coming out of his mouth off the cuff. Everything's been thought through. Kind of like when Chip Kelly talked a few weeks ago about this whole thing. You could tell Chip Kelly wasn't just shooting off at the hip. He wasn't just trying to trend or go viral. He had thought that stuff through. And it was born through a lot of conversation and a lot of trial and error and experience. That's Saban as well. I'd love to see some of these folks get in a room with him when he takes on a new role. He's no longer head coach at Alabama. He's just kind of, I don't know, college football ambassador or semi-college football czar. Nick Saban's got an opportunity to do infinitely more good for this sport in the future than he already has. And I'm very excited to see how that unfolds. Because as you know, we've got a very volatile few years coming our way anyway. So not that I selfishly ever want to see an icon call it quits. But if Nick Saban was going to, for several reasons, there's probably not a more opportune moment for it to happen than right now. Now let's, uh, let's apply some chapstick. Dew points dangerously low in Nashville tonight. I'm, I'm going to have you updates on the Alabama coaching search in this show. I have got the nondescript cup of coffee here, and we have not gotten a whole lot of sleep around here. Director Colin, I'm pretty sure, just has a little cot. He's just sleeping at the office now. Producer Jesse claims to have a cold. I have to take him at his word. You know, it's like a, it's like a flight tracker that's been screenshot and put on the internet. I can't prove it's not true, so I have to believe it's true. We will have Alabama coaching search intel later in the show. I'm trying to buy us time because I have um, several people that I'm waiting to hear back from. And honestly, you could see me pretty distracted in this show tonight because it is live after all. Here's a question as I take a sip from this cup here. Hold on a second. Let me, um, there we go. Had to put a J on it so no one drinks out of it. Let me ask you a question. Who's going to be the face of college football from this point moving forward? You think on that. Take a sip. I have a few thoughts. So, Colin, here's your end point for the individual. Who's going to be the face of college football moving forward? It's been Nick Saban for as long as many of you can remember, but who's going to be moving forward? Kirby Smart's in prime position. I don't think we need to overthink the room here. Kirby Smart is sitting at the University of Georgia. In many ways, he has built the program that is the mirror image of Alabama, and any given year, is just that much better than Alabama. But at the very least, he did something that, frankly, I didn't think anyone was going to do until Saban retired, and that was build a program that could challenge what Saban had built in Tuscaloosa. Not a team. Okay, We've seen Auburn teams beat Nick Saban before. Auburn's never had remotely the caliber of program that Saban and Alabama have had since he's been there. So Kirby Smart also has been a little more outspoken on issues that extend well beyond just the parameters of University of Georgia football in Athens, Georgia. And I think much like a Nick Saban, much like Chip Kelly, like we were talking about when he spoke up a few weeks ago, when Smart has spoken, it's never sounded like it's off the cuff. It's informed. It's broad. It offers a different perspective. Uh, he's not shy. He knows that he has enough equity built up both at Georgia and in the world of college football now that he can afford to say whatever he wants to. And it's a good thing most of the time when he does. I, I go back two years ago when they won their first title over Alabama, ironically enough. And I've mentioned this probably a dozen times since then. The next morning when he gets that head coaching one-on-one -on -one interview 
on national TV. You can choose to do with that time whatever you want to. You can talk about your family. You can make it a little mini recruiting pitch. Uh, Kirby decided to take that moment to talk about how broken the game was and how many good guys were considering leaving the game because the structure of the sport right now is untenable. That sort of thing's important. That's how you become more than just the face of a program. That's how, in many ways, you become the face of an entire entity, an entire sport. So Kirby's there. Steve Sarkeesian's got a good chance. Now, Sark's story, I think, should be shouted from the mountaintops anyway. Uh, but Steve Sarkeesian, I mean, Sark's the head coach at the University of Texas, and he's turned the program around. So anyone who did that at any point was going to be on the very short list to be one of the premier voices and premier faces in college football. Uh, but they're about to join the SEC, man. I know people think Texas football's big, because it is. Uh, but Texas football was a big boy at a, a much smaller table, and now they're walking to that head table, and they will immediately command one of the biggest chairs at that table. Don't kid yourself. We've done this. I'm trying to make sure some of you don't embarrass yourselves by thinking that University of Texas is about to walk in and sit over here at the kids' table for a second. No, they, if anything, they're going to take one of your chairs, and you're going to go sit over there at the kids' table, but they're at the premier table of whatever conference they're in. But if you're the head coach of that program, it's a big deal. Now, unlike some of these other coaches, Sark is still, I'm not saying finding his way or anything like that, but Steve Sarkeesian is leading a high-caliber successful program for the first time, and he's breaking through for the first time. So a lot of the informed opinion that you would get from a Nick Saban or we even get from Kirby, maybe it's down the road a little bit for Sark. And also, look, make no mistake, when you start to speak about overarching issues in our sport, it brings with it a weight of responsibility because it's perfectly reasonable and acceptable for you just to worry about your program and not worry about the rest of the sport. Now, to me, that's a little bit short-sighted. And when you get these premier jobs, to me, there is a small part of you that should feel obligated to give back. Because, I mean, the sport has given to you immensely. You've worked, you've earned it, but the sport has given to you immensely. If you're head coach at Georgia, Alabama, Texas, Ohio State, Michigan, you should be outspoken. Harbaugh's done that recently. Harbaugh's been outspoken about stuff. Uh, I think you should do that. Sark's got a perfect opportunity to do that. I'll tell you who else does. And who else is about to join a new conference? Dan Lanning, a guy we're going to talk about a whole lot later in the show. Dan Lanning has got a lot to say about the future of this sport. Dan Lanning's going to have a big impact on the future of this sport. You could see a new superpower program emerging with him at the forefront of leading it. There are some doubters about that statement I just made there. And they're doubting because, well, what's he won, really? What's he won, Josh? And my answer is, well, a bunch of football games. Hasn't won a national championship. Hasn't won a playoff game. Hasn't been to the playoff. It's been two years. Where were a lot of these other ultra-successful head coaches two years into their program? Blah, blah, blah. Uh, the important part, and uh, frankly, one of the reasons he's on this list has a lot to do with what he's done in the last 24 hours. You know, this program, Oregon, is good. I don't think the program has fully realized what it's capable of. And I think you may have the guy there in the head coach's chair that helps it realize and helps it become what it could fully become. Chip Kelly did immense work on that front once upon a time. Dan Lanning could finish what Chip Kelly kind of started there. There were a few coaches in between them uh, that we shan't speak of. But Lanning this morning said some things. Lanning's actions recently have indicated some things about Oregon that previously we would not have bought about Oregon. You would never have bought 
that Oregon is a premier destination job. You would have bought that it's a really good job. Um, you would not have bought that a guy would turn down premier opportunities to stay at Oregon. But now you have to because one of them has. His name's Dan Lanning. And if he elevates and starts winning in those premier spots, conference championship, playoff, etc., which I have no doubt he will in time, he's going to be a face of the sport. And that's a Big Ten program now. I mean, Oregon and Washington, both Big Ten programs. I'll tell you another one. While we're on the subject of younger, newer head coaches, Marcus Freeman could be this. Marcus Freeman could absolutely be one of the faces of college football. Remember, you know, when Notre Dame had Brian Kelly, it was a really good program, really, really good. And there were a lot of folks out there who wanted to call him and it overrated. And I always had fun with that because my question always in retort to that accusation is, what are they rated? And inevitably, it would lead to me having to point out, oh, so you're telling me they lose to the teams that are ranked ahead of them. They beat the teams that are ranked behind them, which means they're perfectly rated, right? Ah! They just yell at you. So Marcus Freeman, when he took over, you started to get a little bit of the drumbeat from South Bend that, yeah, we didn't hate Brian Kelly or anything like that, but Brian Kelly always looked at himself as being just as big a blessing to Notre Dame as Notre Dame was to him. And uh, Lou Holtz, who always has something to say about other coaches, Lou Holtz also was on record as saying, you know, there's a little something different you need to have about yourself and your perspective to be the head coach at Notre Dame. And Brian Kelly never really had that. He was a good enough coach where his merit stood on its own, but never really embraced what it was to be the head coach at Notre Dame. Well, Marcus Freeman did. Marcus Freeman had options and he chose Notre Dame. And it meant a lot to those people. And it still does. And Marcus Freeman is about as good a showman as we have in the sport, which means nothing when it comes to X's and O's, when it comes to implementing a plan, building an organization. But I think he can do all those things too. I think above and beyond that, and more and more as he gets into his career, the opportunities are going to be there because of how premier that brand is and how charismatic he is to be one of the faces of college football. And you know the last one I put on the list that got a lot of pushback within the office today? Normally that just means Jesse. I put Dabo Swinney on the list. Do you disagree? I think many of you probably do. Here's what I'm thinking. This is not a guarantee. It's not, it's not, it's not me saying, hey, six for six here. Like, these are going to be the faces of college football. I'm talking about guys who have the opportunity to. So Dabo's been in the mountaintop a couple of times already. He became one of the faces of college football. I'm not saying that they erased him off the Rushmore or anything like that, but Clemson as a program is taking a couple of steps back. I think Dabo's appeal, therefore, has taken a couple of steps back. People have doubts as to whether he's totally with all of the talent acquisition mechanisms that are afforded to you in today's game. Count me among them. I have doubts about that. This is not one of those people are saying moments. I'm the people. I think that. But I also have immense respect for him. But at the same time, let's just say Dabo hoists a couple of those national championship trophies in one era of college football. And then he's a little bit slow to adjust to the changes. Totally understandable. He's a little bit slow to come off the principles and values that got him to the mountaintop a couple of times. Again, totally understandable. But then let's say, and this is futuristic, okay? Let's say Dabo decides this year, next year, two years down the road, he's reinventing his program. So in other words, 10 years down the road, you look back and history shows you what Dabo 1.0 was, then Dabo 2.0, which we haven't seen yet. 
There is a world where that happens. There is a world where also Dabo's the head coach at Clemson during a time of um, great transition within his conference. Uh, the program, Florida State, could say the same thing about Norvell, whether he is the head coach at FSU tomorrow or not, who knows. But you could say the same thing about a number of those programs. Cristobal at Miami, you could say the same thing about him. But Dabo's already done it a couple of times at the highest level. If he reemerges and does it again, but doing it in a more modernized fashion, if he embraces some of the things he resisted, Dabo's not short for commentary. Even when he tries to shy away from it, he still ends up leaning into it. That's the very definition. That's the formula for being one of the faces of college football. So no, I'm not telling you we're about to have another Nick Saban. None of those guys are filling those shoes anytime soon. What I am saying is there's a massive vacuum that is left when a giant like Nick Saban walks out the door and people are going to be looking up, down, left, and right for someone to fill it. Maybe a few someones to fill it. Those guys have opportunity. And hey, if you're not sold on it already, there's a lot of money to be made. There's a lot of money on the periphery to be made when you are the face of something as big as college football. I would love to think one day, if we keep working really hard and hammering the message home, Late Kick could be one of the faces of Academy Sports and Outdoors. Now, I don't know how much money is on the periphery for that particular thing, but there would be an immense amount of pride. Academy Sports and Outdoors is your one-stop shop for all things outdoor sporting goods and beyond. Uh, they make this show free of charge for you. I had someone come in the comments the other day and say, why do you say this show's free when you run ads on it? Do you know what free means? I, I, I don't think that word means what you think it means, sir. So anyway, for the 99.9% .9 of you out there who do understand it, thank them. Academy Sports and Outdoors is what makes it free. How depressing would it be today if I said, hey, Late Kicks Live tonight, pay me $19.99 a month. I wouldn't even expect you to do that. And it's my show. Fortunately, we don't have to do that because Academy steps up. And then they step up and not only do they make the show free for you, but they also have incredible stores. And so if you need a trampoline, you need a water slide, you need a good old pouch of big league chew, or maybe you just need a baseball bat for the spring, they've got you covered. And if you can't get there in person, academy.com has you covered. Best friends, Academy and us. We and Academy, best friends. And so hit them up and tell them I sent you. It won't get you a discount, but it'll just get us a little bit more credibility. Selling a little or a lot? Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage, to the first real-life store stage, all the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage. Shopify is here to help you grow. Whether you're selling scented soap or offering outdoor outfits, Shopify helps you sell everywhere. From their all-in-one e-commerce platform to their in-person POS system. Wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify has got you covered. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout. 15% better on average compared to other leading commerce platforms. And sell more with less effort thanks to Shopify Magic, your AI-powered all-star. Shopify powers 10% of all e-commerce in the U.S. And Shopify is the global force behind Allbirds, Rothy's, and Brooklinen, and millions of other entrepreneurs of every size across 175 countries. Plus, Shopify's award-winning 24-7 help is their 
to support your success every step of the way. Because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash odysseypodcast, all lowercase. Go to shopify.com slash odysseypodcast now to grow your business, no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash odysseypodcast. Introducing the two-way V4, where groundbreaking fuel cell technology meets fresh foam cushioning for the ultimate performance. With fuel cell, each step feels explosive, delivering unparalleled energy return. Paired with fresh foam, experience maximum comfort throughout the game. Its lightweight textile upper offers support and breathability without sacrificing agility. Whether you're hitting the clutch shot or locking down the opposition, the two-way V4 gives you the tools to play at a high level. Learn more and purchase the two-way for yourself at newbalance.com. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Okay, uh, Jesse, Colin, was this the point in the show where I said I wanted to talk about landing? It is? Okay, good. And just out of curiosity, Jesse, since we're having a one-way conversation in my ear right now, do we have any breaking news out of Alabama that you know of? Not yet, huh? Jesse, would you like to know what someone just texted me from Alabama? Okay, well, I'm not telling you yet, because I want you to be totally in the dark in there. We're waiting as long as we can into the show. Before we break down the Alabama coaching intel, because I am terrified that news is going to break. Whomst amongst us knows, maybe we're the ones to break it. But in the meantime, Colin, here's your end point. 24 hours ago, Dan Lanning was the focus of everybody's coaching search hotboard for Alabama, and he didn't belong on there. And when we went live last night, you notice conspicuous in his absence was any mention of Dan Lanning on our show. There was a reason for that. And since then, you have found out. So the past 24 hours were kind of wild for Lanning, but they really shouldn't have been. This time last night, there were reports that he was in Tuscaloosa, Alabama. They were never true. That's why we didn't discuss them. Uh, He was silent last night, which led to more speculation that there has to be something to it. People who actually did their jobs, people who actually did what we call worthwhile due diligence, sought out legit sources and found out you cannot confirm that Landing's in Tuscaloosa. And there's a good reason for that. He was never in Tuscaloosa. Hadn't been there this week, last week, week before last. And then this morning, like Macho Man Randy Savage before him, Landing didn't climb to the first or second rope. He climbed to the top rope and he dropped the elbow on everyone. And he released a video for the ages, and it was a video of him meeting with his team, and then it was a video of him talking about commitment and talking about how bought in he is to Oregon, and there was the text on the screen, just iconic moment that said, if you're scared of your head coach leaving, come play for us. If you're scared of that, come to a place where you don't need to be scared of it. Basically, I'm not going anywhere. He had his Leo Wolf of Wall Street moment. I'm not going anywhere. And then a lot of people were made fools of who claimed he was in Tuscaloosa last night. So um, if you're scared your coach is leaving, then come play for us. There's the message there. I think, 
I think this is the most important period in the history of Oregon football. Because what's happening here is you're climbing to a rung you've never climbed to as a program before. Never in the history of Oregon football has a guy with premier options chosen Oregon. Never in the history of this sport has a guy with premier options. I'm talking about the best of the best in the history of this game as an option said, I'm choosing Oregon. And especially, I'm staying at Oregon. You guys have seen him walk out the door before. Who knows, maybe that led you to the moment you've always been waiting on, you just don't, didn't know it at the time. I remember a few years ago, remember when Mario was up there, and Mario Cristobal, when he hit the exit door to go to Miami, it was kind of understandable. Miami's a unique situation, so it's not that he didn't love it there, but you know, when, when, when Mama calls, as Bear Bryant once famously said, you got to go home, so Mario goes home, but it left a lot of people there really dejected. It left a lot of people wondering, are we just always going to be a stepping stone of a program? And I think that that was the moment that precipitated a lot of very necessary evolution within that program, that athletic department, and they got really serious about that never happening again. And what they did in the short term was they went and hired Dan Lanning, who was a coordinator, never been a head coach a day in his life. And so in the short term, everyone wondered, is he the right hire? But in the immediacy and then long term, what they decided is we're going to leverage every ounce of what is Oregon to make the job of head coach here a unique proposition that you can't walk away from. And they have. Like everyone's always said, ooh, Oregon's got Nike. And Oregon finally looked in the mirror and said, you better believe we got Nike and we're about to use it. They've done it in recruiting, but they've also now done it in retaining head coaching talent. Landing's an assassin, okay? Landing's one of the most intense individuals in all of college football. And when he was quiet last night, a lot of people took that to me. There's no way this guy's going to be quiet about all these rumors. No, what they are is strategic at Oregon. Like there is front facing, there's forward leaning in their messaging as pretty much any program out there. And so it made perfect sense when he didn't release a statement. He didn't have a press conference. They had their graphics team. They had their media team put out the message for him. He just retweets it. He just puts out the video. Brilliantly done. He turned rumors into a recruiting pitch and probably the best one they've produced so far. And then he got the entire country, this show included, to echo it and to distribute it for him. Who's done that? Who's doing that right now? Well, someone in high demand. And Dan Lanning is in high demand. But I, I talked about him a second ago in the intensity. Um, there's some people having a little fun at Oregon's expense right now because they went 0 for 2 against Washington this year. Uh, hadn't won that big conference championship, hadn't gone to the playoff yet like he's been there a decade or something. That dude's been there 24 months, a little over 24 months. I am telling you pretty confidently, I'm telling you that that stuff, when it's thrown out there, I, I'm sure that that would dissuade a lot of people. Like if they failed a couple of times on a high-profile stage and then people threw shots at him and made fun at him, yeah, yeah, that would impact a lot of people. You are shooting a BB gun at a freight train. If you guys think that's going to impact Oregon and the trajectory of that program at all, all they did was put the gas even further down on the floorboard. All they did was go take two of the best quarterbacks in the country out of the portal. I mean, UCLA's starting quarterback and Oklahoma's starting quarterback both said, you want to go up there? Yeah, you want to go? We'll both go up there. Only one of us can play at the time. We'll both go up there. Uh, locking down another elite recruiting class, building line of scrimmage talent on the West Coast like I've never seen 
anyone do before since early 2000s Pete Carroll USC teams. That's how far you have to go back. And so it's going to happen there. I will give you as much word as I can over something I have no control of. It's going to happen there. So it's a win for Oregon. Oh, it's a win for the Big Ten, too. Make no mistake, this is a premier program coming into the Big Ten that was about to have its head coach, presumably, snatched by a premier SEC program. And then it didn't happen. But it's a win for college football as well. Dan Lanning staying at Oregon. Big win for the university. Big win for the Big Ten. It's a huge win for college football. Someone gave him a chance. He wasn't a head coach already established. He was a coordinator who'd never been a head coach a day in his life. And the University of Oregon said, you're our guy. We want you to come lead this program. And then they gave him everything he's asked for. And they kept investing in him over and over. And they committed to him. And he committed to them. Found happiness up there. And you know what he did? He did something totally crazy. He decided not to be a mercenary. And he decided... If I'm at a place where all my boxes are checked, I'm at the best job in the country. And that can mean different things for different people. It could be that if I was the head coach at Oregon, I would have taken the A&M job or taken the Alabama job. But maybe I have different priorities. Maybe different things matter to me. But the point is, this, this sports history is littered on every side of the road with guys who tried to get happier than happy and guys who tried to elevate above the top rung on the ladder. Hear me again. If every one of your boxes is checked, you've got the best job in college football. It doesn't matter that anyone else ranks another job higher. They're not you. You're not them. And so that message, I hope, resonates with a lot of folks. I sat in the office of a head coach about a month ago who was up for other jobs. And he is not at a job that you would currently call top 20 in college football. But he looked at me and said, I've got a couple of offers in front of me right now. I could go there. I could make a, a little bit more money. I would be in a, a more primed position from a conference affiliation standpoint. But he said, why would I do that? I'm happy right now. True enough, there may be a day that comes where a job that's five rungs up the ladder opens up, and I will take it, and I won't lie and tell you otherwise. But what I'm not going to do is try and take incremental steps forward that includes moving my entire family in the process for 800000 more a year. It's just, it doesn't make sense. I mean, at some point, you're preaching things to kids and recruiting that you yourself are not practicing. And hey, what a change for once, for once in this sport. Maybe guys are thinking a little bit differently. I would consider that a win for college football. I wanted to briefly talk to you tonight. Oh, hold on, let me check something with Jesse right quick. Jesse, anything? No, still no. Okay, don't answer like that. If you could hear the tone, if you guys could, you know, it's best that you don't. Some of you, it's time to have this conversation. Some of you have built producer Jesse up to be a whole lot more impressive than sometimes he is in real life. And if you could hear the tone that I just got in my ear, you would know. You, you would tone down the producer Jesse hype. The PJH, as we call it around here, gets a little out of control sometimes. And Look, just because he's the one mailing you the Academy gift cards doesn't mean that Jesse physically produced the Academy gift card. So don't get carried away, please. But we love him. Like, we, we love him. Integral part of the process here. Programs awakening in college football. It's happening. And it's being drowned out from all the coaching search noise. But you realize what's happening at Auburn right now? Auburn's a proud program. Auburn's a program that's won a national championship in the last 14 years. Yeah. And won SEC championships even more recently than that. I've got some programs. Auburn's one of them. 
that I think are set to awaken again. These are programs that have once upon a time been something, and I think they may soon be something again. Auburn's got a head coach that's proven he knows how to get it done. Hugh Freeze, I have very little doubt. The guy understands how to build a winner. Has the number seven recruiting class in the country right now. That's higher than LSU. That's higher than Tennessee. That's higher than Oklahoma. Uh, They pushed Georgia and Bama to the fourth quarter, to the brink. Had Bama fourth and 31 on the ropes this past year. And had they won either of those games, I think there'd be a whole lot more hype around this program. There should be either way. Like Auburn, Auburn hired the right guy. I have little to zero doubt about that. I think they've got a solid plan in place as well. Um, Hugh Freeze, probably like anyone else, is a little disenchanted with what the sport is right now, but he has that in common with dozens and dozens of other coaches. He's equipped to win, whether this is the structure, whether 10 years ago was the structure, or five years from now, whatever college football is, they'll be okay. They'll win there. You know who else I think is on the right track? Virginia Tech, I think, is on the right track. Brent Pry, very quietly, trending upwards there in Blacksburg. I've waited so long to say it. This is a program that has not had a double-digit win season since 2016. Why is that noteworthy, kids? Well, if you're 10 years old, you may think, big deal, Vatek never wins. <clears throat> Paper pop time. You know Shane Beamer? Well, his dad coached once upon a time, kiddo, and he rattled off eight straight double-digit win seasons in Blacksburg. Oh, it's possible. Oh, in the words of James Earl Jones, it represents all that was good, and it could be again. They were 3-8 and eight in his first year. They just wrapped up a 7-6 and six season. Their rushing offense, his first year, 113th. They finished 23rd in the country this past year. They got a ton of guys returning. I would love to see them recruit better. But in the immediacy, if we're just talking about programs trending back to where they once were, Virginia Tech, man, they've got some juice. There's a, there's a subtle underground drum beat right now that we haven't heard out of there in quite a while. You see my fingers here. I'm hopeful. I'm hopeful. I'm, I can afford to play favorites over here. Um, Texas A&M, did you really think I was going to make it through a show without mentioning Texas A&M? Absolutely not. Billy Lucci talks about him every day. David Nuno talks about him every day. Why wouldn't I? Just because they work for an A&M dedicated website and I'm claiming to be a national show. Like, other than that, why? Mike Elko's hire was crucial. Now, it's crucial for several reasons, but I think the most notable among them is secretly, Texas A&M did not have a CEO as a head coach. Jimbo Fisher was pretty sloppy. He wasn't a CEO of anything. Uh, that's not a secret around College Station. It's kind of a national secret. Mike Elko is not that guy. Actually, he is that guy, and Jimbo wasn't that guy. And Mike Elko also was there already. He knew the I's that needed to be dotted. He knew the T's that needed to be crossed. He knows the culture. He knows the program. Knows how to run one himself. They've got plus infrastructure, plus resources, plus roster potential. In fact, I would argue they're elite in all three of those spots. And I don't want to get into the age-old debate on this show of whether this is an elite job or not. It is. I'm right about that, humbly. Uh, But I will say Mike Elko, I think, will not get a fraction of the hype of whoever Bama's about to hire, and he didn't get a fraction of the hype of like the Lincoln-Riley move to USC. What if he just ends up being better than all of them? I think at the very least, the program is trending in the right direction. They're portaling guys in right now. Got the number two transfer portal class in the country. That's what Mike Norvell did almost immediately at Florida State. 
to jumpstart things. This will be a recruiting-based program in the near future, but let's just see what they can even accomplish in year one. Miami's a program that's absolutely trending in the right direction, but some of you don't believe that. And, um, well, I don't really know what to say to that other than my evidence is they just went from five and seven to seven and six. They have recruited top seven classes two cycles in a row now, and also a number seven portal class last cycle. The level and caliber of athlete on campus is massively upgrading even as we speak. That's my evidence. What is your evidence that it's not trending in the right direction? You hate Miami? Other than that, I'm going to need something stronger than that, Bill. What else are you looking at? I think you're looking at a warped view of what we're talking about here. Again, humbly, if you're trying to tell me that Miami's not trending in the right direction as a program, I'm not telling you they're winning the title next year, guys. I'm saying they're trending in the right direction as a program. If you're not on, if you're not on the same page with me, at least when it comes to admitting that, what, what are we talking about? What, what is it you would need to see? Well, I would need to see them execute better in big games. I think, like, I'm not telling you they're in the process of doing it. I'm telling you I think they will do it. This is a futuristic, it's, it's kind of a predictive segment. But to me, having better football players is going to greatly help that effort. Well, Josh Mario's just a recruiter. He's not an X's and O's guy. We can have that debate another day. What I'm telling you is, I'm not saying they're going to improve from 10 and 2 to 12 and 0. I'm telling you they're 7 and 6 and could be 9 and 3 next year or something like that. You're telling me they're not trending in a better direction than 7 and 6? You don't think that? We just disagree, I guess, if you feel that way. Uh, what about Nebraska? Dare I mention Matt Rule's Nebraska Cornhuskers? Yes, I do. Dylan Riola kind of changed everything here. When they picked him up, got him to decommit from Georgia and commit there to Nebraska, it put him at number 18. That also, according to Stats and Info, means top 20 in recruiting. Defense was good last year because the offense was horrific. No one really paid much attention to the fact that they had a good defense. Uh, Nebraska will always play that style of football, but they haven't had a double-digit win season in 11 years. They've been under 500 the last seven years. And so, pardon me if I don't get a little excited with Matt Rule going out with that kind of track record as a program and still getting Dylan Riola. I don't care how they did it. I don't care how instrumental family was and NIL was. That's the game today. By the way, I got a, I got a dedicated group text with a bunch of Georgia buddies of mine, and they're quick to point out, well, Nebraska just went and outspent us. Georgia didn't have to do that. No, they don't, because Georgia's selling something different than Nebraska is. Georgia's selling, we're a machine. We'll win with you or without you. It's effective, by the way, because they're right. Nebraska is selling, we've been nothing. Let's look at this trophy case. Tumbleweeds, this millennium. Please come and resurrect this brand. No, there's not nearly as much guarantee at Nebraska. That's why you have to spend above and beyond what a Georgia ever would for a player. That's natural. That's always going to be how NIL works. So you, you say that's the case at Nebraska. They've got that in common with every other program that has failed to win in a long time when they're competing against the premier programs in college football. That's that's not a slight to me. That just means they're trying really hard. I can't believe that's the second application of ChapStick in the show tonight. They're watching us in McCarley, Mississippi. Could be McCorley. I can't tell my A's from my O's. Uh, they're watching us in Macon, Georgia. And they're watching us in Jonesboro, Arkansas. And uh, I saw Butch Jones at LAX a couple of weeks ago. I forgot to tell you guys about that. Saw Jimmy Sexton there as well. 
Jimmy Sexton currently parked at the Malmore Athletic Facility in the University of Alabama's campus. He gets around a lot. You kind of have to when you represent all the big names in college football. Um, got a lot more to get to. Hey, uh, Jesse, are we doing this whole Big 12 cold weather, Big 10 thing? We are doing that. I'm at this point just asking you to hear your voice. Um, let's do that right now. Then we'll do FanDuel. Then we'll get to the Alabama coaching search latest. Okay. So, friend of the program, really just a viewer of the program, hit us with what I think is one of the wilder accusations of the modern era. Now, in fairness, I did ask for radical takes, okay? So, fake Wyoming sports, as opposed to the real Wyoming sports, hit us and said, the Big 12, outside of Ohio State and Michigan, is basically the same as the Big 12 with colder, cloudy weather. I'm not here to defend Big 10 weather. It sucks. You're right about that. What you cannot do on any kind of reputable program, this one included, is come out here and offer up this, this scenario in which you get to shave off the two biggest treetops in one conference and then compare what's left to the entirety of another conference. No, friend, the Big 12 does not compare to the Big 10. You're not allowed to do away with Ohio State and Michigan because they are in the Big Ten. They are two of the five premier programs in college football right now. I'd argue if you're taking away Texas and Oklahoma, which really are disappearing from the Big 12, I'd argue Penn State's better than anything you got out there as well. So there are three programs in the Big Ten that are above and beyond anything you have to offer me in the Big 12. I love the Big 12, okay? Candidly, the Big 12's probably been a more entertaining product to watch over the past couple of seasons than the Big Ten. I mean, Iowa football games put me to sleep every bit as much as they do you, but you know what really hurts? You know, an, an inconvenient truth? Iowa may very well win the Big 12 if they were parked there. We don't have to approve of the philosophy. I think we're going on 73 days, by the way, since they fired their offensive coordinator. I have a working theory that Brian Ferentz is just going to be the offensive coordinator for Iowa as a volunteer. Like, are we just dismissing that Chris Hassel needs to weigh in on this? Are we just, miss, just dismissing the possibility that Bryant Ferentz works for free? Just got like a community offensive coordinator there? I digress. Iowa would do some business in the Big 12. Um, Kansas State's been a really good program there as of late. But think about staying power. Think about what it takes to sustain. Penn State has sustained, and they dwarf Kansas State in resources. Ohio State and Michigan... It's not even a competitive debate. They, they run laps around whatever the Big 12 has to offer. So if Iowa was in the Big 12, I think it may hurt some feelings for folks to understand how good they'd be there. Uh, Maryland, from the Big 12 now and moving forward's perspective, Maryland would be competitive there. Wisconsin would be competitive there. And those aren't three or four of the top programs in the Big 10 right now. So no, no, it's cold. That much is true in the Big 10, but there is a sizable gap between quality of team, top to bottom, in the Big Ten as opposed to the Big 12. Now, I was talking to FanDuel earlier today because I am always fascinated by the betting markets in coaching searches. I have theories on them. And you know what? You can't even get action on this stuff unless you're in Canada anyway, so it is really for entertainment purposes only. But I do need to remind you that if you're interested in things like the Alabama coaching search, FanDuel's got up to the minute odds. I would be interested to see if they've moved even during the show. But you know what else they have? They got NFL playoff odds. 
Go over there, bet $5 to win $150 in bonus bets right now. Really good deal. Doesn't even have to just be a college football game. You can do that on, on um, I don't know, you do it on hockey for all I care. Bet a good old-fashioned puck line and get you $150 in bonus bets. Oh, hey, Jesse, one of our sources just said, call me when you wrap your show. This is tough. This is really, what a classic ethical conundrum. Do I call one of our sources live and put them on speakerphone? The answer is no, I don't. Mm-mm. Columbus State University taught me better than that. No, I don't. Anyway, uh, FanDuel, official odds provider of the show, and it's really fun, if nothing else, to just go check those updated coaching odds there. Must be 21 or over and present in select states. FanDuel is offering online sports wagering in Kansas under an agreement with Kansas Star Casino, LLC. First online real money wager only, $10 first deposit required, bonus issued as non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire seven days after receipt. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER or visit fanduel.com backslash RG in Colorado, Iowa, Kentucky, Michigan, New Jersey, Ohio, Pennsylvania, Illinois, Tennessee, and Virginia. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP or text NEXT STEP to 53342 in Arizona. 1-888-789-7777 or visit ccpg.org backslash chat in Connecticut. 1-800-9-WITH-IT in Indiana. 1-800-522-4700 or visit ksgamblinghelp.com in Kansas. 1-877-770-STOP in Louisiana. Visit mdgamblinghelp.org in Maryland. Visit 1-800-GAMBLER.net in West Virginia or call 1-800-522-4700 in Wyoming. Hope is here. Visit gamblinghelplinema.org or call 800-327-5050 for 24-7 support in Massachusetts or call 1-877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY in New York. All right, it's that time. We're an hour into the show. Jesse, final check. You got no new information in there for me, right? Mm-hmm. All right. So here we go. I'm just looking at a, I cannot believe I'm looking at a flight tracker, but I'm looking at some advanced flight tracking over here. Okay. This is privatized. These are the tail numbers that they've removed from public view. So I do have a little bit of access. Certain friends of the program within the aviation industry have, have lent me their login information, shall we say. All right. So, um, the latest with the Alabama coaching search, if we want to call it that. What I said last night, I stand behind fully. So what I said last night is a lot of folks think this is going to be a coaching search. And a lot of, th- a lot of folks think that it's just cranking up now that Nick Saban retired and they're on first base. And I said, I think my exact words were, they're not on first base, they're rounding third, getting ready to head home. Um, I stand by every bit of that because I think that's, that's what we're in the process of. Some of you took that to mean an announcement was coming last night. I didn't mean that at all. Um, there may be one tonight. There may be one tomorrow morning. I don't expect this to go past tomorrow. Who wants to go into the weekend still searching for a coach? Gross. So uh, just a few things to address here. Greg Byrne must have known a long time ago is, has been something that a lot of you have said about this coaching search. Greg Byrne is the athletic director at Alabama. Um, No, he didn't know. Nick Saban himself didn't know until last week. I believe everything he said about that. I believe Greg Byrne knew for sure Saban was retiring the morning he retired. But that really doesn't mean anything. If you're an athletic director worth your salt, you remember fire drills when you were in school? Like if the school caught on fire, 
Would the teacher say, okay, we need the game plan here. What are we going to do? The building's on fire. Of course you wouldn't, because you did fire drills. And so everyone knows what to do. When there's a tornado, when there's a fire, we practice these things. Guys, athletic directors don't necessarily need to know when their coach is stepping down to know what they're going to do at any moment in time if their coach steps down. You're paid to have these plans of contingency already in place. So whether Byrne knew two months earlier or two days earlier, the due diligence is constantly being done on that front. I think you guys would be fascinated to know the mechanisms of how actual coaching searches work. A lot of searches are happening even when there's no job opening. Do you, you, would you be surprised at that? Would you be surprised that certain people who are the real power players in coaching searches are asked to quietly vet this guy or that guy even though their job's not open? Would that surprise you? It happens all the time. Happens by the dozens every single year. And so is Mike Norvell in play for Alabama? It wouldn't surprise me if he was at all. I think there's a lot of smoke out there. I think Mike Norvell would jump at the opportunity to take the Alabama job if it were offered to him. Now, in the past couple of hours, uh, there's been word come down, I believe, from Yahoo Sports on NCAA violations that I don't think he's going to suffer much from, but it, at the very least, it's just kind of thrown into the pot whenever you're talking about Mike Norvell and FSU. But look, if Mike Norvell were to have an opportunity to be the head coach at Alabama on the table, that's not really much of a conversation of would Norvell take the job. From what I've heard, it would be, where do I sign? Um, I don't know that that offer's on the table, is what I'm telling you. Kalen DeBoer at Washington, couldn't think any higher of him as a head coach than I do. Would his personality fit in the SEC? I have no idea. Would he recruit at the level you need to be able to recruit at in the SEC? I have no idea. I think there's legitimacy behind the interest of Alabama towards Kalen DeBoer. As I said with the Texas A&M coaching search, and I'm going to say it again, uh, there are at least two names that I've been given that I think have legitimate traction here. Um, they're not currently in the building. They were not currently on the staff there. Uh, let me make sure. Neither of them has ever coached or worked at Alabama. Let to make sure. Some of these guys have been grad assistants and off-field analysts at places you don't even know about. So um, any kind of reputable coaching search is going to be under lock and key, and this one is. Hardly anyone knows anything. And number two, I do think there are some guys who have gotten looks and had the tires kicked on them that I have not heard mentioned. I, I got a couple of names in my head I haven't heard them mentioned once. I tell you this to tell you the trade-off sometimes for getting that kind of intel is keep your mouth shut. So I'm going to. I think on the back end of this coaching search, I'll be able to share those names. I did it with the A&M job. I think I'll be able to. Cannot do it right now. And I don't know how valid they are. I have no clue. Some guys get interviewed knowing full well they're not getting the job. It's just good experience. So that context, I'm absent on. I don't have access to that. But let me address one very, very flawed piece of logic that's in the mix out there. And it was always going to be in the mix when it came to Alabama and Nick Saban. If I've heard one person say this, I've heard a thousand of them say, who wants to follow a legend? Who wants to try and step in after Nick Saban departs? The answer is a lot of folks. How many of them are going to get the opportunity? One, two, three, I don't know. Not very many. 
Um, that is not the way to phrase the question. Okay, it is a very, very poor miscalculation of how supreme alpha competitors think. Alpha competitors are the one percenters. Okay, by the very definition of what it takes to have this job, if you have common mentality, if you think in average terms, you're not going to get an offer to be the head coach at Alabama anyway. So the guys who think the right way, they are few and far between. But those are the only ones that are going to even have the opportunity to begin with. The guys who think in a manner that it takes to be the head coach at Alabama are the kind of guys who do not look at who they're replacing. They look at support. They look at facilities. They look at resources. They look at recruiting base, and they look at commitment. And Bama goes five for five on those, which makes it a premier college football job, which any competitor worth his salt is going to look at and say, I don't care who in the world I'm coming in behind. I'm going to win there because I'm a winner and I got the ingredients to win. And it, that's the mic drop. That's all it takes. That's the beginning, middle, and ending of how competitors assess this. So you're either going to have a situation that's perfect, like Dan Landing has at Oregon, and you cannot pry him away, or you're going to go get, within reason, whoever you want to be able to go get. There are a few non-starters. I don't think Kirby Smart, for example, would ever leave Georgia for Alabama. But outside that, there are a lot of names in play here. Some you know about, some you don't. I will also say that I think we may be heading towards a situation where Greg Byrne decides a guy fits all of his criteria and he's maybe not at the top of all these lists. And people who couldn't evaluate their way out of a wet paper bag when it comes to what it takes to be a winning head coach are going to look at it and speak negatively about it. And I just think back to Florida State hiring Mike Norvell, come to think of it. And I think even one and two years into Norvell's career, how many people thought that was a mistake hire? What did they know? They didn't know anything. It was idiotic because now the guy just won the ACC and went undefeated and three-fourths of the country thinks he got screwed out of a playoff spot. Uh, Mike Norvell's the real deal. And conversely, everyone thought Scott Frost was a home run grand slam hire at Nebraska. I'm included there. And it was a disaster. So what do people really know? They don't. They don't. By the way, that's not even to speak ill of normal people. I could tell you story after story about football coaches who have been wrong about their opinions of other football coaches. And no one's more informed on the game and the job than those guys. It's always a crapshoot. It's kind of like uh, in a similar vein when, when you talk, about, talk to people about betting football, for example and you're struggling to be over 50% against the spread because they're really good at setting those lines. And um, some folks question your football acumen if you can't win 57 or 58% against the spread. And I always ask, could you find me the former football coach out there that's killing it 60% against the spread? Doesn't have anything to do with football acumen. That may help you on an anecdotal basis. Former football coaches don't have any more informed opinion on who's going to win a game and cover than you and I do most of the time. So there's just more to it, in other words, than what meets the eye. So this, was, this is not going to be a show where I tell you a guy's in Tuscaloosa when he's not. Um, it's not going to be a show where I throw out baseless speculation because I know there won't be a price to pay in modern media if I'm wrong. I'm telling you, I don't know who they're going to hire. I do know some names involved. I know some guys who were involved in the interview process. Uh, a lot of those are public. Uh, Football Scoop had a report earlier today. Yes, all those names are involved. A couple more that they didn't list. Um, but I think it's going to conclude fairly quickly. That's what I'm standing on. That's the, the one piece of business I'll stand on is 
I think you're going to have an answer. Uh, it would surprise me if we didn't have an answer on this by this time tomorrow night, and you may have one before this night is over. So I think that they are rounded third. I think they are headed home on a higher, and they'll get it right. Whether the public thinks they got it right or not, I think they'll get it right. Okay, Jesse, yeah, we're clear? Coast's clear? All right, do me a favor. One favor on your way out. Subscribe to the channel and like the video, and make sure this is imperative. Make sure you're following Twitter and Instagram, at LateKickJosh, because I'm telling you something's going to break very soon, and I may not be in the studio for it, so we're going to have reaction, may have some intel later tonight, at LateKickJosh. Follow, follow, follow. That's it, and that's all. For producer Jesse, for Direct Colin, I'm Josh Pate. Thanks so much for watching. Great shows this week. We'll be back Sunday night or sooner if the situation permits. Take care and God bless. Must be 21 or over and present in select states. FanDuel is offering online sports wagering in Kansas under an agreement with Kansas Star Casino, LLC. First online real money wager only, $10 first deposit required. Bonus issued as non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire seven days after receipt. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER or visit fanduel.com backslash RG in Colorado, Iowa, Kentucky, Michigan, New Jersey, Ohio, Pennsylvania, Illinois, Tennessee, and Virginia. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP or text NEXT STEP to 53342 in Arizona, 1-888-789-7777 or visit ccpg.org backslash chat in Connecticut, 1-800-9-WITH-IT in Indiana, 1-800-522-4700 or visit ksgamblinghelp.com in Kansas, 1-877-770-STOP in Louisiana, visit mdgamblinghelp.org in Maryland. Visit 1-800-GAMBLER.NET in West Virginia or call 1-800-522-4700 in Wyoming. Hope is here. Visit GamblingHelplineMA.org or call 800-327-5050 for 24-7 support in Massachusetts or call 1-877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY in New York.